the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back as we head into Hour 2 of our daily three-hour show. It's a delight to welcome back Congresswoman Debbie Lesko, representing Arizona's 8th Congressional District and, of course, a member of such important committees at uh, the U.S. House of Representatives. We had a long discussion earlier in the week, but not hardly enough to cover the concerns going on at our southern border or H.R. 1. Debbie, welcome back. Thanks for doing this with us. Thanks for having me, Seth. It's, uh, I'm actually in a old-fashioned phone booth off of the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives. I just got done voting no on another amnesty bill so that the Democrats are pushing through. Is that the only phone booth left in America? <laughs> There's like a, a, a bunch of them here. There's a, a bunch of them. They, they have these old-fashioned phone booths. Do you have to put a quarter in it? <laughs> No, I'm, a nickel? I'm just sitting in it using my <laughs> cell phone. <laughs> okay. Congresswoman, two things if we can do them. Uh, what is the latest on the border? What was this amnesty legislation? Uh, I'll tell you what's bothering me right now. What's bothering me right now, it's not the um, it's not so much the verbiage, because I think everyone knows we have a crisis, even if the administration doesn't want to admit it. I mean, even CNN and The Economist are calling it that at this point. Why aren't they upset about the media blackout? That's kind of interesting, don't you think? No more ride-alongs, no pictures. What's, what, what happened to the notion that the media cared about wars against the media? You know, I've given up on the uh, main street media. There, I, I don't, quite frankly, it's really sad because I don't believe anything anymore. It's hard to know anything. And so then you turn to the Internet and you're like, is that true? Is it not true? And then my constituents ask me, you know, they send me these different articles and they say, is this true? And I'm like, it's hard to know what the heck is true anymore. And so unless I'm there and involved in it, that I know is true. You know? Good. And so, Good. Um, you know, but... But, yeah, it's it's a just sad state of affairs how they treated Trump a certain way, and now they're treating Biden with kid gloves. They don't bring up how all of these kids are stuck in uh, overcrowded facilities all next to each other. Uh, there's a huge COVID problem in Mexico. They're, you know, we heard they're not even testing some of these uh, kids or adults for COVID. They're releasing them into Arizona communities. The Gila Bend uh, mayor the other day uh, said, hey, he doesn't know what all he said, found out was that they're releasing people in his community. He doesn't know anything else. They're not telling him. What kind of president of the United States does something like that? Just, you know, entices kids to travel thousands of miles to cross the border at the hands of the cartels who are dangerous people, and then releases them into communities with possibly COVID. I mean, what kind of BS is this? That's right. That's right. And and just so people know, there are 14,000 migrant children in U.S. custody right now at the border. 14,000. 
and growing. Yeah, and and they're not, and the mainstream media isn't saying anything about right. that. I mean, for goodness sakes, when when there was a before Trump got this under control, and there was a problem at the border, and there was kids at the border, they said, "Oh, it was in cages and all this mm-hmm. stuff," but they were using you know pictures from facilities that were there from Obama. That's days. right. You know now 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 when this is actually happening, Biden doesn't even say it's a crisis at all. You know it, you know the, oh it's just a problem. And no we're pictures. We have it. no pictures. And we have it's no like, pictures. No, and the media can not. no longer do ride-alongs. You've done those ride-alongs. I've done them. They're extremely valuable for understanding what's going on. I guess they don't yeah. want us to know what's going on, Debbie. Yeah, I, I don't know. And now, you know, on top of that, right when we're having this border crisis, we just passed, they're going to pass two bills today. One already passed. It was uh, to give DACA recipients uh, a, a fast track to citizenship. And, you know, I have compassion I for do the too. DACA recipients. I do, too. To tell you the truth. I think it's the and government's fault. I think it's our government's fault. We brought them here. We told yeah. them to come. We told them we'd give them this. I think it's our fault. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I actually voted when Republicans were in charge. I actually voted for a compromise bill with Republicans and Democrats that would have combined border security and fixing some of the border problems with giving legal status to the DACA recipients. Because I don't think it's fair that if their parents brought them over when they were young, that they should be punished. However, I'm not going to vote for giving them a special pathway to citizenship, which will then allow their parents to get a special pathway to citizenship because the parents are the ones that broke the law. No, your analysis is exactly right. And why we couldn't do it in a compromise with border security. I, I, by the way, think something close to 70 percent of Americans could support something like that if we had a serious border security uh, commitment along with uh, DACA citizenship. I I think, or at least legalization and amnesty, I think most Americans would go for that, but they won't do the border part. They just won't. So what they want no, they is DACA uh, uh, amnestization and legalization, which will only, without border security, bring more illegal immigrants. That's all it'll do. You're, you're right. And then the other bill that they're voting on right now that we're voting on is a, a, it's a farm worker bill. Uh, the thing is, is, you know, there is – I've listened to um, – uh, some of the farmers, because we have in Yuma, Arizona, a huge vegetable growing, and in California as well. And uh, it's hard work. I've been down there. I've seen, uh, and, and they have a guest worker program right now where they have uh, uh, people come across the border from Mexico early in the morning. And, and that's fine. To me, it's fine. You come across the border, you work, you go back home. But there was too many loopholes in this particular farm worker bill, so I, I just had to vote no on this bill. I just thought it would lead to to uh, more illegal coming here, and you couldn't really identify who was who. So, so that's the two bills uh, on immigration issues today. But none of them, neither one, address the border security or the problem that's going on the border right now. Well, good for you for doing that and uh, for telling us about it. Let me let me shift because I'll tell you, this thing will come and go at some point. The media will get tired of it, as they do with every crisis. They just kind of leave it without a solution, so we'll stay on it. But the one so many of my listeners are worried about, Debbie, is something that passed the House and they're playing games in the Senate with, and it's H.R. 1. Talk to us about H.R. 1 and what you would recommend um, our listeners do. I've I've told them to call Senator Cinema and buck her up and let her know she has support. But you tell me if that's the right thing or what we should do here. 
Well, I do agree with you on HR1. Um, your listeners should call Cinema and Mark Kelly, the two uh, U.S. senators for Arizona, and tell them to vote no. Now, I don't know if they're going to vote no or not, uh, but, but... At least saving the filibuster for now would be yeah, a good interim yeah, position, exactly. I think. Yeah. But, but the thing is, they also need to, to put it out on social media, put it out you know, to their neighbors, so more and more people will call the Senate and tell their senators to vote no on this. HR1 will nationalize elections in a bad way. So everything that your listeners thought went wrong in this last election in 2020, they're going to have that spread across the nation and make it federal law. So, for instance, in Arizona, we have uh, a law that says you have to show a voter ID to vote, right? Right. Uh, And this would get rid of it. Yeah, that's gone. It prohibits It prohibits states from requiring voter ID. Um, It also, in the state of Arizona, we ban ballot harvesting, Mm -hmm. meaning we ban people just being able to pick up a whole bunch of ballots. And, you know, we hope that they're going to drop them off at the place, but they might not. Maybe they'll open them up and say, oh, that's not the way they voted. Mm -hmm. Want us to vote, so I'm going to get rid of this ballot, right? Mm -hmm. And so it it legalizes that nationwide, legalizes the ballot harvesting nationwide. It also has government-funded for congressional campaigns. So, you know, our listeners, your listeners, you, me, uh, our money is going to go towards Nancy Pelosi's mm-hmm. campaign or a Democrat's campaign, people that we don't even want in office, government funding of campaigns. It also changes the Federal Election Commission, which um, from a nonpartisan right now is three Republicans, three Democrats, to five members so that they have a partisan edge so that then all the Democrats will file federal election complaints against every single Republican candidate. And the, it will be, um, you know, they'll, they'll go after the Republicans. It also requires automatic uh, voter registration for people. All states, instead of having um, that most states, their legislatures uh, determine the redistricting voting lines every 10 years. Arizona has a so-called independent redistricting commission. It will force all states to go to a redistricting commission, which, of course, as we've seen the last time around, could be very partisan. Basically, just one person in the entire state of Arizona decides what the voting lines are going to be instead of the entire legislature. I mean, there are a lot of bad things in this bill, and if we... If if the Senate gets rid of the 60-vote filibuster, all of this liberal stuff is going to get signed into law by Biden, who, uh, and, you know, fortunately, many laws could be changed once Republicans get back in control, but if you have, have to have control fight of to the get House, back the in Senate, office. and yeah. the presidency. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in the meantime, a lot of damage is going to be done. So I do want to give hope to people. Good. There is, you know, this, this is a battle, okay? It, it, it is a battle. It's, I believe, a spiritual battle. It's a, it's a battle of philosophies. Uh, it's a political battle, not a physical battle. But, you know, we, we need to not be the silent majority anymore. We need to speak out in a civil way, speak out, speak out for what's right. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors what is going on and what the Democrats are pushing through, such radical bills, such as the one where, you know, they're going to allow boys and girls sports, 
uh, men in uh, women domestic violence shelters. They, I mean, they passed that one uh, just the other day. Yep. It, you know, it's one radical bill after the other. Push, push, push. It's every day. Every day we're voting on more radical bills. Well, Debbie, uh, you're uh, firing on all pins, and we're glad you're there doing so. Uh, really proud of you. Thank you. Come back more often. Tell Rachel you're welcome anytime you want, and uh, we'll be in touch. This is a great update, and it's great visiting with you as always. And keep firing. Thank you. You bet. Thank you. We're going to win back the majority in two years. Good. That's the hope. Good. Good. Thank you, Debbie. <laughs> all right. I'll Thanks. do anything I Bye-bye. can to help you do so. God bless you. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. It's a delight to bring back to uh, to the show Mike McCormick. Mike started off as a listener, and uh, what we didn't know, he lives out on the East Coast. What I didn't know is that he uh, actually has had a lot of experience with Joe Biden, so much so he wrote a book. You can get it on Amazon, Joe Biden, Unauthorized, and the 2020 Crack-Up of the Democratic Party. Mike uh, reached out today to shed some light on the goings-on between Joe Biden and uh, Vladimir Putin, and I am so glad he did. Mike, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Thanks, Seth. It's great to talk to you again. Good to talk to you again. For the audience that may have forgotten or is tuning in, uh, tell them a little bit about yourself and how you uh, got to know Joe Biden. Well, I was a stenographer in the White House from 2002 to 2018. So I worked for President Trump, President Obama, and President uh, Bush. And uh, I was a neutral observer. You know, my job, I'm an independent voter. My job was to sort of stand there and work for the press office. So I I saw the the interaction between the press, the White House principals, press secretary, president, vice presidents. And um, in 2011, I started working for Joe Biden and worked for him all through. I traveled with him internationally, so I traveled with him to Russia. Well, yesterday he had that uh, interview, or two days ago he had the interview with George Stephanopoulos, and, you know, there was a bit of, well, frankly, Joe Biden's lying about what happened uh, in his meeting with Vladimir Putin. I've written about it in my book. I have a kind of a a racy language chapter addressing Biden, but, you know, one of the words I won't say, the other one is slapped in Moscow, be slapped in Moscow. And that's what happened. That's what I saw. And it wasn't reported by the press. I've written an article, a follow-up article on it in uh, the national, www.thenationalpulse.com website. Um, It's airing, it's... uh, on there now. We know the National so, Pulse. That's Raheem Kassam's outfit, is it? That's right. Yeah. I was, sure. Yep. He's a great guy. Yeah. I've been doing a lot with him. Right. Yeah. Raheem's spot on. And so we had, uh, you know, he was really good about getting me. Uh, I, I saw the news break yesterday. I said, hey, Raheem, I can do an article for you. So we got it right in there. And basically, it's a recap of what I saw when I was standing in the room when Vladimir Putin had a, a one-on-one, he had a group meeting with Joe Biden in just about 10 years ago, March 2011. And, you know, what What uh, people would read in the book is Joe Biden got, he got manhandled, basically. He, he basically, Vladimir Putin publicly humiliated him. And no one back here heard about it. And this is during the era of the reset, and this is during the era of 
were in, you know, the Obama and White House was making fun of the Romney Ryan ticket for telling people to be careful of Vladimir Putin. And lo and behold, after the 2012 election, Putin invades uh, Ukraine and, you know, wreaks havoc on our computer systems with hack after hack after hack. So he's really a bad guy, and Joe Biden didn't get it, and he still doesn't get it. And so I wrote that article. It's on the nationalpulse.com, and, you know, it explains basically how bad Joe Biden is at being, you know, a world leader. And now he's the president, and he can't face up Vladimir Putin. Vladimir Putin's not putting up with him. Tell me, um, tell me about what, because I remember we visited a lot during the conversations uh, over Hunter Biden and Ukraine and Joe Biden and Ukraine. Talk to me about what you see going forward, Mike, as your concerns with the relationship with Russia. But moreover, if you want, expand it beyond that. Joe Biden, you know, carried this card as an expert being the chairman of Senate Foreign Relations and the vice president. Uh, going forward is his abilities to handle uh, serious international negotiations and uh, right. representing America on the world stage. Talk to us about what you what you what you would glean. That's a great question, Seth, because, you know, I think Vladimir Putin came out with a series, like a flurry of sort of challenges. The last I heard, Raheem told me this afternoon that uh, Putin has challenged Biden to a uh, uh, debate. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right? I mean, that's just crazy. And, and basically, this is Vladimir Putin's way of saying, Joe Biden, you're not qualified to be president of the United States. You know, the presidency, having, having worked in that, White House, for as long as I did, the presidency isn't something you just turn off the lights and you go to sleep right. over. It's a 24-hour, every-minute-of-the-day job, and Joe Biden is up to it. And that's what Vladimir Putin is telling the world. And he's doing it in his own rough-handled, you know, Russian KGB, ex-KGB guy way. And Joe Biden isn't up to it. He's not up to it. And neither is Kamala Harris. She's scrambling just as badly. This this White House, this Biden White House, is scrambling to cover the bases of crises everywhere, almost at once. It's going to get worse. We're talking. To, let, let me just know, plug, let me plug you. Let me plug you real quick. We're talking to Mike McCormick. He's the author of Joe Biden Unauthorized and the 2020 Crack Up of the Democratic Party. You can get his book on Amazon. He worked with Joe Biden. He. He had an upfront first row seat as to uh, as to uh, the goings on of of Joe and Joe Biden's uh, capabilities and abilities, I should say. Uh, Mike, um, I have to go to break in a moment. Can you stay just a little bit longer? Because you mentioned an interesting point, crisis, an interesting word, crisis. And it almost seems to me like Joe Biden might be starting crises, and I'm not just talking about the Mexican border, I'm talking about Russia, I'm talking about China, I'm talking about the Middle East, might be starting crises that there was no need to start simply over some kind of idea fix that whatever the idea of the left is is right or whatever the idea of Trump was was wrong. But the truth of the matter is it seemed to me we had things in fairly good shape despite the narrative um, I mean, if Donald Trump had called a foreign leader a killer, it would have been front page headlines. It's all but forgotten already. Can you stay with right. us and talk to us about absolutely Joe Biden yeah. and 
whether he's a bull in a china shop that brings with him his own china or whether he is um, someone who brings with him uh, Gorilla Glue and can fix it all. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Mike McCormick. His book, Joe Biden Unauthorized and the 2020 Crack-Up of the Democratic Party. Little Lionel Richie there for you. Uh, delighted to have Mike McCormick with us. He is the author of Joe Biden Unauthorized and the 2020 Crack-Up of the Democratic Party. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Mike, uh, you, you have watched uh, Joe Biden as vice president uh, in many an international forum. And it seems to me, I don't know, I mean, I, yes, I'm partisan about these things, but you know, you look at Middle East peace, you look at kind of China pushed back a bit on their heels, you look at North Korea pacified. Anything having to do with Russia was mostly, as far as I was concerned, a media creation, more hoax than truth. Um, things were pretty much OK, never mind the border, gosh knows. Um, and in comes in uh, two months what seems like a bull in a china closet on the international stage. Is he mucking things up? Is he prepared to muck more things up? Or am I misreading things? What's your sense of, of how Joe Biden will represent us internationally? Well, I I think you're right on with the, uh, the progression of catastrophes that's literally unfolding. And I think there's more to come. And it's really disconcerting because it's so unnecessary. But, you know... That's our democracy, and you know, frankly, I'm I'm one to say that no, November election was not on board, and you know, it's it's travesty what happens. So you know, we've all got to pitch in. I've been calling out to uh, Phoenix to, to your state, the Arizona State Senate, for their ballot counting. I've been doing some calls and emails for that. I mean, people all over the country are really pushing. So to get back to your question, you know. I think the, the Obama Biden and this you got to put Obama in this because Biden okay. is just kind of he's a figurehead. Okay, um, they completely misconstrued what's going on in America. They had a belief. I think they're in their bubble and they don't talk to people. Yeah. They had a belief that their old ideas that well, they thought were were valid in 2015 and 2016 are still valid. The, the whole country's moved on. The world has moved on. And they're still stuck in 2016. No, that's a great point. You know? That's a great point. And so, I, I, you know, America's sitting back going, like, why is this happening? Why do you guys think we need to open up the borders? It's just ridiculous what they're doing. You guys are seeing it firsthand. It's horrible. We had a handle on the border. We had a handle on the drug crisis. We had a handle on the Middle East. And they want to reverse all of it, don't they? The Middle East, that's an interesting one. Talk. That's probably... Exhibit A in the world having changed from 2015 to 2021, that region did change. And in large yeah. part with the work of Jared Kushner, some push from Saudi, the Saudis, some work with the Israelis. But Donald Trump, obviously, as president, should deserve the credit for it. They, that, that they changed that world and, and formed an alliance that seemed to put pacification – a word that uh, doesn't usually attach to the Middle East, in play there. And it seems as if Biden is, and his crew want to say, 
yeah, but we were really right in 2015, so let's go back to that. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, I have a very dark interpretation of what's going on with returning the troops to Syria. I mean, that was a very quick thing that he did. Yep. You know, Joe Biden has a very close association with the guy who runs the Kurdish area of Iraq. His name is Masoud Barzani. Uh-huh. We, uh, we, I traveled with Joe Biden to Iraq twice. We went to Bar- Barzani's personal compound twice. Uh-huh. 2011 for the handover of cessation of hostilities, and then 2016 for, um, you know, sort of trying to wrap up that ISIS outbreak. I think Barzani uh, is now Biden is his patron who's sort of helping him guard the oil fields that occurred. And this was a big contention, you know, uh, Trump was, you know, he was saying, look, we like the Kurds, it's old, these are old animosities over there, we don't want to get pulled into them, you know, they were our friends, but we've got to get out of there. And Biden's going right back in. I think he might have got some unsolicited, not some unsolicited, I think he might have got some uh, dark money campaign contributions from Kurdistan. Is that right, the KDP? Yeah. And I think that's what he's doing. And I think it's just, you know, it was an immediate payback. And, I mean, that's that's what I think happened. Well, Mike, stay stay close. Stay close because we're going to go through a lot of foreign policy uh, turbulence here, I think, over the next couple. So stay close. Keep 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 in touch with me as you did this morning. And uh, we'll bring you on. It's great to get your I'll insight. I'll check back in. I actually will, Seth. Thank you, Mike. Mike, Thanks uh, so much. you bet. Mike McCormick is the author of Joe Biden Unauthorized and the 2020 Crack Up at the Democratic Party, available at Amazon. Uh, your call's next. Give us one. Anything you want. 602 602-508-0960. 602-5080-960. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I had one fear, one fear about Governor lifting all the restrictions this month, the month of March, and it's been realized. My fear was that as more and more people were coming back into the office, they would be walking around with these... Charts and graphs. Charts and graphs about basketball and teams and brackets. And we didn't have it last year because COVID. And I didn't understand it the 20 years before that when I became aware of it. And I don't understand it now, but I do understand there have been emails throughout the office that I have not been privy to. And uh, my question is to Bill, my producer, who knows more about sports than uh, most people, I think. Um, Is this something we need to worry about? Is this something – are you participating in this or do you only participate in fake events, fantasy events? I'll participate just for fun, sure. You will. I don't watch the games, but I'll make picks on the games I don't watch. Based on what? How will you know? Reading the sports pages? Do you read the racing form or whatever it is? You got it. Do you? Something like that, yep. But you will not watch on TV. 
No, although I don't have a hard stance on not watching NCAA that I have on, say, the NBA or NFL. Okay, good. Good. They're not as bad? Not that I'm aware of. I wouldn't be surprised if they got bad eventually. So if I find out that they are bad and I tell you they're out and you and I can be on the same page again? I would have no problem getting on your page. Okay. Yeah. You have a very hair trigger for boycotting political correctness, and I love it. He had all these Nike Nike clothing items, shirts, shorts, socks. Threw them all out. Or put electrical, black electrical tape over the logo. Yeah, threw them all out. We'll stick with that. Threw them all out, sure. Threw them all out. Teen Vogue is about the most one of the most despicable publications I, I, I I've I've read about or th- or can think of in America. One of the most despicable mainstream publications I can think of. If you go to their website or their archives, you will find article after article after article denouncing capitalism, praising Karl Marx, celebrating Karl Marx, instructing teenagers as to what capitalism is and as to why it's a bad thing and as to what communism is and why it's a good thing. It's a really odd thing for a publication aimed at teenagers to be working so hard to promote communism. It's as left-wing a publication that would not be seen or otherwise thought of as a left-wing publication as you can get, making it all the more dangerous, insidious, if you will. So they hire a uh, new editor-in-chief named Alexi McCammond. She worked... uh, she worked over at Axios and for a few other publications, MSNBC and NBC. And um, she was named an Emerging Journalist of the Year by the National Association of Black Journalists. So I guess she's also African-American or black. I didn't know that. Well, she's not getting the job that she was hired for to become editor-in-chief. Do you know this story, Bill? She's not getting the job. The offer to become editor-in-chief from Condé Nast Publications of Teen Vogue was rescinded. You know why it was rescinded? Tweets, anti-Asian and homophobic tweets. But please do keep lecturing we conservatives for fomenting anti-Asian themes and memes. Please, Please keep doing that. You know, it is amazing to me. How much the woke left, the woke, the left, that whole conjurie of progressivism likes to lecture this society about the evils of its systematic racism and sexism. And it turns out that two things are truer and truer by the day. The examples of it turn out not to be true or hoaxes, Jesse Smollett, for example, or they're perpetrated by the left. Harvey Weinstein wasn't a Republican bundler. Jeffrey Epstein wasn't a Republican bundler. 
Andrew Cuomo wasn't a Republican governor. Ralph Northam of Virginia wasn't a Republican governor. Blackface, KKK hood, still in office. These continual lectures about the problems in society make me want to say, physician, heal thyself. Heal thyself. And as far as carbon manipulation or carbon uh, use and uh, harming the environment, you know, tell us all to change our lives. The only way you change your lives is more private planes, greater mansions. And then you tell us, well, you have no choice because you're doing such good for society. It's a funny thing when people say they're doing good for society. They say that as if, back to my monologue, there's a uniform and unanimous agreement as what the good of society is. This is what J.D. Vance was getting at when he was writing about the border. Is it a value of the United States to welcome immigrants? Of course. Is this a country that welcomes immigrants? Of course. A million a year, legally. Is this a country that should welcome immigrants? Of course. How all of a sudden do we become racist when we put limits on that decency because we have limits to our economy and abilities? Let me put it to you this way. Let me put it simply. What's the good here? Was the good Joe Biden saying, immigrants, please surge the border, so now we have 14,000 children in detention facilities at the border without reporter access? Is that the good? Or was the good saying, we'll do this piecemeal once we have a handle on it and we block the border as best we can from allowing terrorists and traffickers in? which was the system that existed up until about mm, January 20th. What's the good? I'm happy to debate it. Is it a good when people have access to the economy, health, transportation, or is it a good when they deprive themselves? Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Sandy's in Scottsdale. Hello, Sandy. Hi, Seth. I've listened to you for a long time. I've never called in before, so I'm a little bit nervous. <laughs> Don't be, and welcome. Thank you. Um, just the, the conversation you were having uh, previously about what's going on in this country and everywhere around the world is constant chaos and uh, division and open borders, et cetera, et cetera. I think that goes back probably to Woodrow Wilson and probably after World War II, uh, also, when they decided the the New World Order and the global governance, they needed that to prevent wars. And I recall, I think it was Angela Merkel, maybe 10 years ago, maybe it was less or more, I'm not sure, was saying about the global governance, we have to get this thing done by the 21st century. Well, here we are in the 21st century, 
and I think Donald Trump threw a wrench into things because and I, I think they knew everybody knew pretty much in 2015 Donald Trump might be interested and they thought he can't win because we got lots of conservatives but only one Donald Trump and he's not allowed to win and be president so he kind of threw a monkey wrench in but um, I think that's why we're ending up with all these uh, open borders and constant chaos and division. It's Marxism. It's Coward and Pivot, Coward and Pivens and uh, Sololinsky stuff. It really I is. I think no, it really is. I agree with you. I, no, I agree with you. I was quoting uh, the Sololinsky rules in my monologue yesterday uh, that I think are so very pertinent. And um, and, and and look. <laughs> This country's going to go through a very, very, very radical experiment. They used to say that Barack Obama made Bill Clinton look conservative. What do you do about the fact that Joe Biden is making Barack Obama look conservative? That's how far we're moving here. Oh, I know, and we're moving very fast. Very fast. Times are moving fast, and this is the 21st century, and they want this global— Well, right after uh, Donald Trump was elected in 2016, I think it was shortly thereafter, Nancy Pelosi— got herself a plane, a government plane, and got her entourage together, uh, which Trump canceled, and she was off to Brussels. And then uh, she later got the plane again, and she was off to Brussels. Well, why would she be going to Brussels? That is the seat of global governance, or the would-be global governance. And everything goes on there. So I don't know. Is she going there to get instructions as to how to handle this new president? Well, I I don't know. I will tell you this, though. Uh, Since the 1950s, since the advent, the first issue of National Review magazine, it's worth going back and looking at the very first issue of National Review. They were worried about ceding American sovereignty to uh, global institutions, and it seems to have been a, um, shall we say, a perennial fight ever since. Um, I don't know. Count me as someone who who thinks... The rest of the world should be more like America and um, not the other way around, America being like the rest of the world. Of course, it's awfully hard when the people governing America keep telling the rest of the world what a cruddy place we are. Um, I think that's going to circle back and bite. I really do because it's been so long since we got used to it. 